report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Mideast on fire. Good afternoon, President Biden in Israel today for a high-stakes wartime visit with our strongest ally in that part of the world. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Your visit here is the first visit of an American president in Israel at a time of war. Biden greeted Netanyahu with a hug on the tarmac in Tel Aviv. Todd Pyro at Fox News. The hug, a sign that these two countries are united following what only can be described as Israel's 9-11. The president's trip comes hours after a deadly explosion at a hospital in Gaza. Correspondent Charlie Daggett. Cell phone footage captured the moment an explosion turned an overcrowded hospital in Gaza into a massive fireball. Hundreds are thought to have been killed in what might be Gaza's worst single loss of life yet. Hamas blames Israel for the attack, but Israel says it was the work of an errant rocket fired by Islamic Jihad. Peter Lerner is lieutenant colonel with the Israeli Defense Forces. Hamas knows it wasn't an Israeli strike. Israel does not target hospitals. We don't do that. Nonetheless, Arab extremists are using this tragedy to foment more hate against the Jewish state. Reporter Trey Yinks. In the fog of war, emotions often will take over, and despite the evidence that is seen across the Arab world, we do expect more unrest and protests as a result of the deaths that happened at that hospital in Gaza overnight. Former U.S. Assistant Secretary of State Robert Charles. The greatest sadness of war, whether you're talking World War II or this conflict, is that civilian Civilians who just want a secure life often pay the ultimate price. Without having all the facts, Michigan Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib blamed Israel for that hospital attack, and now the Mideast is on fire. Oklahoma Senator Mark Wayne Mullen. We should be pushing back on Tlaib right now. We should be exposing her bias towards Hamas and her support for them. There should be a resolution on the floor right now silencing her. The hospital bombing in Gaza City forced the cancellation of a planned meeting in in Jordan between President Biden and Arab leaders. Earlier today, the president said based on all the evidence he's seen, the rocket that hit that hospital belonged to Arabs, not Israelis. It appears as though it was done by the other team. Last night, fires were set outside the U.S. Embassy in Beirut. Riot police are cracking down in that city today. The U.S. State Department urging all Americans in Lebanon, get out now. The terror group Hezbollah, or organizing what it's calling an unprecedented day of anger against Israel throughout the Arab world. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. That is the motto on Capitol Hill as House Republicans attempt again to seat a new speaker. No speaker. I think we're a mess. And no precise prediction for when there will be one. My guess would be it will take somewhere between the five rounds that it took Pope Francis to get elected to the 15 rounds that took Speaker McCarthy. After going down in the first round, Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan is back at it. We're going to keep going. I've had great conversations, great discussions with uh, our colleagues. Lawler. Speaker Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy.
McCarthy. 20 Republicans opposed Jordan and backed other candidates, including former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. You think Jim Jordan should drop out or withdraw? I'm not going to tell Jim Jordan what to do. I'm just telling you what I think. I don't think he's going to get there. Florida Congressman Carlos Jimenez is one of several lawmakers who tell CBS News he was turned off by pressure tactics from Jordan's camp. Others reportedly claimed they were threatened with primary challenges. That's CBS's Nicole Killian on Capitol Hill. One of those in the Jim Jordan camp is New York Congresswoman and chair of the Republican Conference, Elise Stefanik. He is a fighter, and the American people know, we know, that Jim Jordan is a winner on behalf of the American people. Jim Jordan needs 217 votes to become the next speaker. He can only afford to lose the support of four Republicans if he is to assume the gavel. A Western Pennsylvania woman who smashed a Capitol window with an axe and turned a cardboard tube into a bullhorn on January 6, 2021. That woman has just been sentenced to nearly five years in prison. Rachel Powell, the infamous pink hat lady during the Capitol attack, says she is deeply ashamed of her behavior. Powell will serve her sentence starting January 5th, 2024. The Mercer County mom has eight children. Former President Trump's civil fraud trial continues today in Lower Manhattan. A preview from Paul DeCastro. Before entering the courtroom, Trump once again blasted New York Attorney General Letitia James and her staff, calling them frauds despite a partial gag order imposed on the former president. Security is expected to be tight again today for the continuation of Trump's $250 million civil fraud trial. The ex-president calls the case a form of election interference because it's keeping him inside a courtroom and off of the campaign trail. And a new chili pepper has just broken the Guinness World Record for the world's hottest chili pepper. Pepper X, as it's called, was created by South Carolinian Ed Curry. It registers at just under 2.7 million Scoville units. That's the measurement scale for spicy heat. It doesn't get much more spicier or hotter than this. Pepper X nearly three times hotter than the previous record holder, the Carolina Reaper. Maybe don't try that one at home. Still to come on the Noon Report, toy vote underway, Cornell Prof under fire, and underwhelming test scores. We'll get to that after this. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams, keeping an eye on our next weather maker, Disturbance Southwest. Promising rain heading toward the end of the week. Forecast details are up in 10. All right, another rainy weekend. Where have I heard that before? Thank you, Kevin. News where you live next. A Cornell University professor in Ithaca, New York, under fire today for calling the Hamas attack on Israel exhilarating. Russell Rickford, an associate professor of history, made those comments during an off-campus rally on Sunday. They were able to Rickford went on to say that Hamas, through its actions against Israel, has shifted the balance of power in the Middle East. Hamas has punctured the illusion of invincibility. Cornell University issued a statement in response to those hate-filled remarks calling the professor's comments reprehensible. New York Governor Kathy Hochul on a solidarity mission to Israel to show support to the Jewish state after that October 7th terror attack. As the leader of this state, I feel compelled to go to Israel 
comfort individuals who've lost loved ones, work to get humanitarian relief, show solidarity. The governor returns home from the Middle East on Friday. Pennsylvania Congressman Glenn Thompson weighed in on the war with us earlier today. And this is not a war with Palestine. This is a war with Hamas, a terrorist group. Yeah. And so giving the people of Palestine due notice that it's, it's time to leave, it's time to move before these ground troops come in. The hostages complicate things. There's no doubt about it. Hamas is such an evil organization. They use anyone and everyone for uh, human shields. Yeah, I tell uh, people, you know, Israel's a, a country about the size of the state of New Jersey. And I tell people, imagine you're New Jersey and Connecticut, Delaware, Rhode Island, and Pennsylvania all want you dead. I mean, that yeah. is, that's the state of Israel right now. Now you got well, Iran ratcheting up the rhetoric, saying it could launch a preemptive strike if Israel goes into Gaza. How concerned to UGT that this could break out into a much larger, wider, and more dangerous war? A regional war? I, I think that the reality is there. Uh, it is pretty scary. I think this administration has recognized that, uh, moving a second carrier group to the region. Although there's nothing to be gained, I don't think, by Iran to take an active part in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing for them but loss, especially since the United States is showing its um, its military presence in the Gulf. That is Pennsylvania Congressman Glenn Thompson. Business groups in New York are banding together to challenge a new law that bans gas appliances in new buildings starting December 31st, 2025. Here's Attorney Jared Cook. I imagine it's almost certainly going to get taken up by the United States Supreme Court. I mean, you know, you can't, you can't always say for sure it will, but it, it seems pretty likely when you've got you know, competing Court of Appeals decisions on the issue. The plaintiffs in this case include business groups, a gas company, and contractors. New York Democrats instituted the gas ban to fight climate change. Critics say if implemented, this new law will decimate the New York state economy. A proposal that lets independent voters cast ballots in Pennsylvania primaries has just cleared a hurdle in the state house. Those changes could take effect in time for next year's presidential nominating contest. The measure allows independent voters to choose which political party they want to take part in. Pennsylvania is one of just seven states right now with a closed primary system. New York is among them. The clock is ticking to get a deal done to fund 911 call centers across the Commonwealth. Without a new bill, by the end of January, counties will lose access to hundreds of millions of necessary dollars. Right now, 65% of county-run 911 centers are funded primarily through a monthly surcharge on phone bills. Each line pays $1.65 a month for operators and technology. A new proposal would reauthorize the funding stream and increase that amount to $1.97. New money could help to spur the use of next-gen technology to add video capabilities to calls and connect call centers across county lines. Terry Diener, Family Life News. Thank you, Terry. A bill that addresses vehicle crashes into bridges in New York is awaiting action from Governor Hochul. We get those details from Family Life Jeremy Miller. The bill would require the commissioner of the state transportation department to give a report about crashes involving bridges and elevated structures to state lawmakers every year. The reports would be required to list the number and location of bridge strikes, repairs and prevention measures completed, and recommendations to prevent future collisions. The state DOT says there are nearly 200 bridge strikes a year caused by improperly stored equipment on trucks, ignoring vehicle signs, and illegal commercial vehicles on parkways. Jeremy Miller 
Miller Family Life News. Thank you, Jeremy. A new report reveals prison staff knew that former fugitive Danello Cavalcante, remember him? Well, he was planning his escape weeks before he led police on that massive manhunt in the Keystone State. A Chester County prison correctional officer had warned a captain in an email that Cavalcante was planning to break out. The convicted murderer was labeled an escape risk. Despite that, he was still allowed in the outdoor recreation yard. Cavalcante crab walked up the wall of that yard and broke free, then went undetected for over an hour before the two-week manhunt began. That hunt cost taxpayers $12 million. Sarah Harnish, Family Life News. Thank you, Sarah. Legislation approved in the Pennsylvania Senate cracks down on those who do not stop soon enough for a stopped school bus with its lights on. The bill sets up a 15-foot buffer zone around the buses. If you break the barrier, you could face fines or a revocation of your driver's license. ACT scores are at a new 30-year low. Spectrum News reporter Kara Burnett. A new study finds that ACT test scores have dropped to their lowest levels since 1991. More and more states are using the ACT now the way that New York uses the Regents. It's a statewide exam that everyone takes. So to say that scores are down from 30 years ago, 30 years ago, you took the ACT if you were applying to college. That was the only reason to take it. Now, in many states, kids are taking it because they have to. Brian Galvin with Varsity Tutors says pandemic learning loss is at least partially to blame for the decline in scores. The graduating class of 2023 were in their first year of high school when the COVID-19 pandemic broke. Kara Burnett, Spectrum News. All right, Kara, thank you. Voting is underway for this year's inductees into the National Toy Hall of Fame at the Strong Museum of Play in Rochester, New York. The five candidates are the Fisher Price Corn Popper, My Little Pony, Pez Dispenser, the Pogo Stick, and Transformers. You can vote for your favorite toy once a day online until October 24th. Go to museumofplay.org. That's museumofplay.org. The winner will be revealed on November 9th. The Philadelphia Phillies are on a roll. Sports is next on the Noon Report. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, he is not your typical leadoff hitter because he is slow when it comes to running and he strikes out a lot. But when Kyle Schwarber isn't striking out, he hits the ball a long ways. Last night he hit two home runs. The Phillies' home run barrage has now reached 15 in their last four games. That is the most in a four-game stretch in postseason history. Trey Turner opened the scoring for the Phils with a home run in the first, and Philadelphia never looked back. They crushed Arizona 10-0. The Phils now up two zip in this series as it shifts to Arizona, where the D-backs hope to righten the ship. It was not a good night for Arizona sports. It was a good night for Philadelphia sports. More on that in just a bit. The Houston Astros hope to get their ship back on course tonight. They'll have to do it in Arlington against a very hot Rangers ball club and Max Scherzer. He'll be opposed by Christian Javier. The Rangers yet to lose this postseason at 7-0. To hockey, Sean Coutier scored on a penalty shot for his first goal in nearly two years. And the Flyers shut out the Canucks to zip. Said it was a good night for Philadelphia. In Buffalo, the Sabres couldn't hold on to a 2-1 lead in the third period, so they won it in overtime. 
Dylan Cousins scored the winner 116 into the OT as the Sabres pick up their first win of the season. The Islanders eked out a 1-0 win over the Coyotes on a Matthew Barzal goal. Yeah, not a good sports night for Arizona. The Wild, Oilers, Kings, Avs, Knights, Canes, your other winners. That is a look at sports. Thank you very much, Randy Man, and still to come on the Noon Report, anti-Israeli protests erupt throughout the Arab world. Why people are losing interest in church these days, and Kev says another rainy weekend is on the way. His forecast is after this. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Late last month, a large majority of members of the European Parliament voted to pass a regulation to protect the donation and destruction of so-called substances of human origin for the sake of patient health. According to European media service Euractiv, the regulation was intended to, and I quote, set a framework to provide donors and patients with a future-proof and harmonized system for transplants and donations. However, a group of European Union Catholic bishops have warned that the language of substances of human origin includes not only donated blood or tissue from adults, but also embryos and fetuses. In fact, the language is so broad, the bishops say, not only would the donation of unwanted, artificially inseminated embryos and unfertilized cells be permitted, but also unwanted, naturally conceived preborn children prior to viability. And because the regulation requires special steps to ensure that so-called genetic conditions not be transmitted to SOHO recipients and offspring, the regulation could actually give researchers and practitioners the license to destroy embryos with, say, Down syndrome or other disabilities diagnosed in utero. Classifying embryonic human beings as so-called substances of human origin or SOHO erases the fundamental difference between embryos and other human cells. Unlike a skin cell or a blood cell, a zygote or an embryo is a whole separate valuable human being. Ignoring or disregarding that fundamental distinction is to remove all barriers from any person born or unborn from being considered merely a substance of human origin. Now, part of what's driving the increased interest here in harvesting fetal tissue and embryos for use in medical treatment is to address what's been billed as an organ shortage crisis. Though organ donation's only been medically possible and viable for a few decades, it's now deemed a crisis that the demand for organs far outpaces the supply. Around the same time that this new European Union regulation was passed, a group of American researchers suggested that neonatal organ donation could significantly mitigate so-called organ shortages. That suggestion, especially in light of this new regulation that categorizes embryos as merely substances of human origin that can be used for medical purposes, more than opens the door to dangerous ethical ground. Even treatments purportedly pursued for medical purposes can undermine the meaning of medicine, as well as accepted standards of medical care. Ever since the ancient Greek doctor Hippocrates, doctors have taken an oath to do no harm. Medical so-called care that intentionally harms any person for no medical purpose contradicts the very meaning of care, and therefore medicine. In other words, just because we can do something doesn't mean we should. These recent troubling regulations from the European Union is only the latest expression of an anti-humanism that's on the rise 
via Western medicine. By treating whole separate valuable human beings as mere commodities, this new regulation will only harm and not help. Like other examples of harm that also passed in the name of medical care, for example, Canadian doctors harvesting organs from medical aid and dying patients, or doctors in Denmark and Iceland claiming to eradicate Down syndrome, but in reality only exterminating all children with Down syndrome in utero, or U.S. doctors perpetuating chemical, cosmetic, and surgical mutilation of minors in the name of so-called gender care, Western medicine increasingly serves a progressive ideological master. We might try to cover up these evils using Orwellian terminology, but the profoundly anti-human ideas at the root of what we call medicine will have consequences and victims. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Let's check weather next on Family Life. Here is your Family Life weather forecast. The call for this afternoon's stubborn cloud cover. Breaking in some areas for some sun. The high temperatures in the 50s and low 60s. Leftover patchy clouds tonight. Some pockets of fog. Late low temps, upper 30s to the upper 40s. Tomorrow, some sun. High temps into the 60s. Some rain on Friday with high temperatures then in the mid-50s to the lower 60s. All right, Kevin, thank you kindly. This is the Noon Report. I'm Bob Price. Here's what's going on Wednesday, the 18th of October. President Biden making history today, becoming the first U.S. president to visit Israel at a time of war. He greeted Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu with a hug on the tarmac in Tel Aviv. Reporter Trey Yinks. President Biden is not here simply to show support. There is a real understanding that the Americans have to determine their next steps if Iran uses its proxies, namely the Lebanese militant group Hezbollah, to get directly involved in this fight. So there are a lot of moving parts to this, but every indication is that the Americans and the Israelis believe there is a real possibility of this escalating. The president's visit comes hours after a hospital explosion in Gaza killed hundreds. Hamas blamed Israel. Israel blames Islamic Jihad. Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner with the Israeli Defense Forces. The images of civilians are indeed heart-wrenching and heartbreaking, but it wasn't our doing. It was a Palestinian rocket fired and hitting Palestinian people. He says forensic evidence taken from the blast site shows the misfired rocket was the property of Arab terrorists, not the Israeli army. Nonetheless, Michigan Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib and others with the so-called squad on Capitol Hill blamed Israel for this. Former State Department spokeswoman Morgan Ortegas. These members of Congress who tweeted this disinformation out, they are directly putting American lives in harm's way by spreading this disinformation. They should immediately delete these tweets, they should apologize for the disinformation, and they should understand that their words have consequences, there are ramifications, and if any American service members or diplomats, God forbid, are in harm's way, part of it is due to the disinformation that is being spread, not just by terrorist groups, but by some of our own members of Congress. It's highly irresponsible. That is former State Department spokeswoman Morgan Ortegas. I'm Vicki Barker at the Foreign Desk in London. There have been violent protests as people across the Arab world take their horror and anger at the Gaza hospital strike into the streets of their cities. Demonstrators stormed the Israeli consulate in Jordan and Western embassies have been targeted in Turkey, Tunisia, Iran and Lebanon. Protests also in the Netherlands, Colombia, Puerto Rico and a synagogue was firebombed in Berlin. Fires were set outside the U.S. Embassy in Beirut today. The State Department urging Americans in Lebanon to get out now. This after the Iranian-backed terror group Hezbollah called for a day of unprecedented anger against Israel. It's round two on 
Capitol Hill in an effort to seat a new House Speaker. Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan failed yesterday to win the 217 votes he needs to assume the gavel. Republican Senator Mitt Romney. The great majority of the Republicans in the House, I think, would like to have someone that represents the mainstream of our party. Uh, Jim Jordan represents a small part of the party, but a very vocal part of the party. Some in the House are now considering a temporary measure that would grant interim Speaker Patrick McHenry the power to get legislation moving until a permanent leader is chosen. A new survey reveals an epidemic of loneliness in this country. Family Life's Greg Gillespie takes a closer look at what the church can do to help lessen loneliness. Studies say one out of five U.S. residents describe themselves as lonely. But when we zoom in on the millennial generation, that loneliness leaps up to one of every three people now in their late 20s to early 40s. LifeWay Research says some things congregations do to be friendly are actually counterproductive. Most newcomers say a greeting time during worship takes too long, feels forced, and leaves guests feeling left out. Suggestions include lobby tables to sign up for activities beyond Sunday morning, like pickleball, fishing, art, or the gym. Greg Gillespie, Family Life News. Thank you, Greg. And next at noon, a conversation about the growing number of Americans who've had it with church. Family Life's Martha Manikis Foster takes a deep dive into this troubling trend next on Inside Out. Who are the people researchers are identifying as the duns and the nuns? And what does that mean for God's church? Well, welcome to Family Life's Inside Out, where we're going to talk about this very thing. I'm Martha Manikas Foster, and my guest today is writer Michelle Van Loon. She has, for quite some time, been looking at the exodus from the church, especially among those who for many years had dedicated themselves to it. Michelle, people are quitting the church. What do you understand is happening? And what do we mean by the nuns, which is N-O-N-E-S, and the duns, D-O-N-E-S? What do those words actually mean? We are definitely in a time of great change and shift. When we talk about people that are done, Uh D-O-N-E-S, we're talking about people that once were active in church and they hit the exit door and never came back. When we talk about nuns, N-O-N-E-S, we may be including people that are done with church. We may also be including in that category people that have never been closely affiliated with the church, regular attenders or members. It's tempting to be able to use a category name to kind of assign meaning, but we know, and we know from the example of Jesus, that that is always a terrible idea (laughs) because (laughs) he could see a naked madman running around the tombs, and he could say, this person needs deliverance. Mm not this person needs exclusion. Mm-hmm. Or he could see a woman grabbing the hem of his garment who'd been excluded from the faith community because mm-hmm. of her illness, and he responded differently. So it's not usually the Jesus that we meet in the pages of Scripture or in prayer that has burned a person out or burned a person in general. It's often his people behaving badly. We're not talking about people who are done with Jesus. Maybe they're saying, I have none, but they may not have met him. Mm-hmm. The actual bona fide son of God, rather than mm-hmm. we imperfect followers who make so many mistakes, who make up the church. 
knew that we weren't going to get it right. But I think the call here is for empathy and for listening way more than maybe what we heard a generation ago. Most of the people who are struggling with the church in one way or another, it's good to understand what is it exactly that is bothering them, because you might be able to say, that actually bothers me too. Mm -hmm. I'm still here. Here's why I'm still here. But I totally get it. And being able to come into a conversation with empathy and being able to encourage them to maybe start moving toward God instead of trying to stand still or move away from God. Even the, the smallest movement toward God has a life all its own. Mm. We take a step and he comes running. Michelle, what would you say to church leaders who are listening, who are battling discouragement about Mm -hmm. the people who they might have expected to come back to church because now they have children and a generation ago, that's when a young adult might come back to his or her roots. Or Mm -hmm. you see all these people who had been very active in the church who have walked away. Mm -hmm. What would you say to the discouraged pastor? It's discouraging. This is hard. There's no quick fix program. All those things have all been tried. So the only hope in this is to be able to equip and empower people to be able to go and to be able to speak to people that would never necessarily come to church and to recognize that there's reasons for all of them. But I get that it's not easy. It's not easy. So if we can encourage those who are our shepherds, the pastors, to be empowering us, which has always been part of what pastors do, right? I think I hear you saying that that may be the bigger part of what being part of the church Uh is, at least right now or maybe into the future. Right. And if a pastor is used to build a program and they will come and they'll bring their friends, it can be hard to shift out of that kind of program director or CEO mode of doing a church and kind of tapping in again to what it means to shepherd, to be a soul carer, a chaplain, and to encourage people right where they are. No church can go to places where people are not wanting to attend a church service. But all of us are scattered into the world to be the church. That is author Michelle Van Loon on this week's edition of Inside Out, which airs Wednesdays during the Noon Report or online anytime at familylife.org. Good afternoon to all. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. A fairly quiet weather pattern is with us now, but watching our next weather maker developing in the western United States, it will be coming east, bringing our area rain later tomorrow night and Friday and some more chilly air as we head through the weekend and too early next week. The call for this afternoon, stubborn cloud cover, breaking in some areas for some sun, the high temperatures in the 50s and low 60s. Leftover patchy clouds tonight, some pockets of fog, late low temps, upper 30s to the upper 40s. Tomorrow, some sun, high temps into the 60s, some rain on Friday with high temperatures then in the mid 50s to the lower 60s. All right, Kevin, thank you kindly. And finally at noon today, happy necktie day. Dress for success, dress to impress, dress for the job you want. Rambo's only as good as his headband, and you, my professional friend, are only as good as your necktie. Yeah, how about that? If you're no fan of the necktie, which, uh, let's face it, most of us aren't, well, you can blame Croatia, because that's from whence 
it came. The forerunner of what we know today as the necktie was actually a chainmail neck covering worn by 17th century Croatian mercenaries as a form of protection against enemy swords. Some kind of history, huh? Well, somehow that morphed into the cravat in France, and by the 1800s, the knotted fabric neckwear became what we now call the neck tie. Some tie-obsessed person once claimed there are 177,000 ways to tie a necktie. I have tried them all, folks. Still don't have it down. A recent Gallup poll shows just 6% of American men wear a necktie to work these days. So, whether you're a fan or not, Happy Necktie Day. And that's the world we live in Wednesday, October 18th. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.